California Energy Markets is the premier source of independent news and information on the electric and natural gas sectors in California and the Southwest. Published weekly by NewsData since 1989, California Energy Markets covers energy policy, resources, markets, infrastructure, and other vital topics. Thousands of energy professionals rely on CEM to help them better understand and navigate these dynamic energy times. Visit newsdata.com to find out why and start your subscription today. Again, that's newsdata, one word, dot com. Welcome to Newsdata's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Cashpole, reporter with Newsdata's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and the editor of Newsdata's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories that we've been reporting on lately. Uh, Jason, how are you doing this week? I'm great, Dan. How was your weekend? It was good. It was like a solid B weekend, if you were grading it. Not too exciting, but certainly not stressful or exhausting. You You need a B every once in a while in life. Yeah, you don't want to go too high or go too low. I'd, yeah. I'm going to rate mine a B plus. I was hanging right. out with my daughter, and uh, yeah, son came back, so we went to the went to the park and tried to fly her new drone. Mm. Which, How did that work out? Not well. Yeah, but <laughs> she the first time she tried it by herself, and it went in a tree, and I had to climb the tree and yeah. get it out. This time, I, I set it to rise and hover, which was really cool, but it was windy. So it kind of blew off and then I got it going again. It came straight at me. So I think it's already, you know, calibrating itself to come after me. Oh no. Yeah. Yikes. Have you, did you do something to it to anger the drone? I I don't know. You know, it's, uh, I maybe smack talked it a little bit, you know, (laughs) I don't know if this thing has AI yet, but you just never know. Uh, Yeah. At least chat GP. Tea or whatever it is. Uh, so yeah, that was a reach in terms of a topical joke. It was a fail, I think. <laughs> um, speaking of flights and children, my eight-year-old asked me this weekend if, uh, when he turns fifteen, if he can get his own airplane, which he did Why? at least say that he would pay for. But to avoid wow. hangar fees, he insists that he would keep it in our either garage or the backyard. I hmm. pointed out where are you going to take off from, and he's. He insists that he can take off from our street, which is lined with trees um, and not yeah. that long. But he was not dissuaded by my wife and I pointing that out. So that's bold. I like it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah the the enthusiasm, enthusiastic optimism of an eight year old. Yeah, that's the same age as my daughter. I mean, you know, if it had horizontal takeoff, like a, I mean, vertical takeoff, yeah, like, like a, a yeah, drone. VTOL. Yeah, there you go. You never know. Yeah, I like the ambition. I feel like VTOL, uh, the vertical takeoff, might be out of his price range. Mm. I think I feel like every airplane is probably going to be out of his price range. I don't know what the price on a kit airplane is, but anyways, <laughs> uh, let's let's get to stories. Yeah, um, now you're going to start us off this week. Oh wait, actually no. Which uh, which stories do you have this week for us before we get into them? Well, I have a new proposed decision from California Public Utilities Commission looking for 4,000 megawatts of net qualifying capacity. Uh, There's some history to this. In other words, just uh, CPC seeking more megawatts. 
Then I have the regionalization study that just dropped, uh, initiated by California Independent System Operator with some findings about uh, regionalization that are interesting in the West. That's regionalization of energy markets, or RTO, regional transmission organization. And then uh, another CPC story, they've issued an order to uh, consider extension of the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. So yeah, three three uh, three on deck there. The, so I, I've got a story about um, an acquisition uh, transfer of ownership for part of the coal powered uh, coal strip or coal fired coal strip power plant up in Montana. A legal challenge to the Washington Cap and Invest program and uh, FERC rejecting a vis. Avista's request for help with transmission pricing. So, um, yeah, how about you get us started on uh, California ordering up thousands of megawatts of uh, new resources? Sure. Um, this is uh, what the CPUC said: increased electricity demand, accelerating effects of climate change are among the factors that uh, led to this proposed decision. Looking for an additional four thousand megawatts of net qualifying. Capacity, this would be zero emission resources from this January 13th proposed decision from CPC Administrative Law Judge Julie Fitch. Um, this is having really load serving entities procure supplemental midterm reliability resources for 26 through 27. This follows the 11,500 megawatts of CPC ordered in June 2021. So quite a large amount of capacity the CPU is seeking by 2035. Uh, this would be a total of 15.5 gigawatts. And there's been some supply chain holdups on raw materials and some other changes from uh, recent or other prior procurement orders. And what are some of the factors? Increasing demand beyond levels seen in previous California Energy Commission forecasts. This is due to weather, increased electric vehicle and air conditioning penetration, building electrification and changing consumption patterns after COVID-19 pandemic. Also a big issue that we've been looking at is uh, imports are really falling. Uh, the amount of energy available from other states in the West, especially the Northwest, um, which California traditionally relies on, those are dropping. And then uh, retirement of generation units, mostly natural gas and accelerating goals for clean energy. So yeah, this is an interesting situation. You know, there's a lot of catch up being played here, a lot of gigawatts. And, you know, if you look at one of the reasons why they're seeking this capacity is because they've had problems getting the stuff they ordered before. So will they run into those problems again? So yeah, a uh, proposed decision will be voted on here in the, new in the near future. You're seeing some interesting numbers like what CPUC staff is, is, is looking for, um, gigawatts and gigawatts and gigawatts that we're gonna need here in California in coming years. And they're trying to make it as much zero emission as they can. And that's reporting from Ann Ernst. So yeah, more zero emission resources, but from what you're saying, uh, we might have utility taking on a little bit more coal in the West. Yeah, Northwestern Energy, which is the largest utility in Montana, is 
swimming upstream or not swimming it just it's going against the grain in the uh, trend in the utility industry where rather than ditching fossil fuel fired resources it's taking on more of them so it reached a deal with washington-based vista to take over that utility's uh, 222 megawatt share of the coal-fired coal strip power plant in again in montana so this gives northwestern energy uh, control over about 30% of the plant. Uh, and it's most importantly, though, it really kind of gives the plant extra life past this decade, really. Wow. Uh, so four of the owners of the, there's six owners of the plant, four of them are based in Washington, Oregon, and have mandates to get coal-fired resources out of their uh, portfolios for Washington by 2025, uh, Oregon. 2030, that had looked like these four owners, there was a lot of speculation that these four owners, Puget Sound Energy, Portland General Electric, Pacific Core, and Avista, uh, their exit from the plant, it it would in, lead to the retirement of the plant. And the two other owners, Talon Energy, uh, independent power producer, Talon, and uh, Northwestern Energy, really want to keep this plant going for the foreseeable future. So this gives them majority control. Uh, Talon Energy had reached a deal last fall to take over Puget Sound Energy's share of the plant after uh, it gets out at the end of 2025. The Avista Northwestern Energy deal, the, the transfer takes time takes place at the same time. Now, Avista uh, does keep its share of a the 500 kV transmission line that runs uh, from Montana to the West, and it's going to pursue renewable energy operations, most likely wind in Montana. But this, uh, like I said, this really gives Coal Strip kind of a new lease on life or just ensures that it is going to stay open at least till 2029. Mm -hmm. uh, and they really are projecting that the, what they say is the economical life of the plant can go into the 2030s and if not longer uh, they i say they say Talon and northwestern claim that it's economical for that long there's a lot of uh, a lot of critics of the plant say it really is not as economical as the mm -hmm. the owners claim and there have been some you know, issues that are or some data that's come out in filings to uh yeah, indicate that it is it could be operating kind of at a loss compared to uh, market prices. That said, Northwestern Energy has a really big uh, growing capacity deficit. This does give them a, a considerable bump in resource adequacy. And uh, there was a recent resource adequacy study by the Northwestern Power and Conservation Council that said, hey, if Coal Strip goes offline and these resources aren't replaced with you know, similar dispatchable capacity that it's going to be a problem for the region's Northwest uh, or the Northwest's resource adequacy. Wow. I will add to that though, that while defenders of coal often add that it's dispatchable capacity, I think sometimes or critics, uh, you know, say hey, that's kind of a misleading way to describe it. It coal. It's not like you just flip a switch. It takes hours to build up 
to the requisite energy, the I guess mm. the heat level that you yeah. need to be at full capacity or whatever capacity you want. And then it similarly takes a while to ramp it back down. So coal, mm. while it is good for, or while it is efficient, reliable for base load, generally speaking, this is not a ramp resource. So yeah, I didn't, yeah. Interesting point about it. Cool. Yeah. And this, yeah. this planet, I was, should add that it's in recent years, it's finished as high as the number two emitter of carbon uh, emissions in the West. So environmentalists wow. uh, were not happy and had a lot of criticism to level at this uh, and news of this, which broke last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. I see some of your quotes in your story are interesting. Um, the talent CEO, we are here for the long run. We are not transitioning. That's pretty, uh, pretty specific. <laughs> yeah. No bones yeah, about no. it. Yeah. So we'll see. And oh, the other bit of news that came out of this um, is Pacific Core it now plans to stay in the plant uh, up until 2030 rather mm -hmm. than getting out at 2025. That will be interesting. And I actually, they, I couldn't confirm this. By the time they got back to me, it was after deadline um, and we'd already gone to press. Uh, so I need to follow up with them this week because they, I don't know how that's going to work because they've got service territory in Washington and Washington's mandate is very clear that coal has to be, you cannot have coal fired resources as part of retail electricity, electricity sales after 2025. So we'll see how they parse that one in terms of, you know, they've got service territory elsewhere where they might be able to say, look, these are two separate, you know, they could show that they are on a separate transmission grid uh something yeah. i'll be digging into this week so stay tuned right but, good reporting uh, you've got a story about the efficiencies and benefits of regionalization yes this is the new study or i guess they're not calling it a study because they're really looking at previous studies so i've been going with report um it's done by the national renewable energy laboratory at the direction of the California ISO. Uh, it's actually um, Chris Holden, the Democratic lawmaker, um, state, law, state lawmaker, has uh, put forth a resolution for this study. Kind of interesting to me, you know, the, these studies have been going on by CAISO for at least five years. Um, but unsurprisingly, they found a great greater energy grid cooperation between California and other Western states would provide many benefits, lower costs, and help with common state energy goals, although the benefits might not be spread evenly. According to this report, the benefits include production cost savings, resource capacity savings, emissions reductions, enhanced re reliability, especially under stressful conditions, uh, and better regional coordination would provide enhanced grid resilience make it easy to recover from weather events and outages. As far as California, it would, it would enhance California's ability to move excess wind and solar across the West and provide more flexibility. This is a theme we hear a lot. Um, California needs three things from a regional market, according to the study. One is more commercial procurements from the rest of the West. The second is more ability to export solar energy in the middle of the day. And, uh, the third was be reserve sharing, especially with the Southwest. 
So as we know, efforts to regionalize CAISO have failed. They face resistance from labor groups in the state that don't want to lose jobs and environmental groups. And I think this is a big hurdle, as you were just seeing with Cold Strip. Other states are making very different decisions than California is, and they don't want that emissions, uh, high resources coming onto the California grid. So yeah, as we know, we have uh, some moves towards regionalization here in the West with Kaiso's uh, expanded day ahead market and Southwest Power Pools Markets Plus. Neither of those are a full RTO, but here we have a little bit more uh, information to work with with this new study from NREL. And I covered that in Friday's California Energy Markets. Speaking of emissions, you've got a carbon emissions story for us. I do. Uh, so the Utah Division of Public Utilities is challenging the constitutionality of Washington's new carbon cap and invest program. This is part of this goes hand in hand as part of the uh, decarbonization programs, which include the uh, mandate to get rid of coal fired resources. So the Utah Division of Public Utilities is arguing that Washington's program, uh, it affects wholesale markets and violates the Federal Power Act and might be unconstitutional for violating the Supremacy Clause, which says, you know, federal laws um, usually, almost always, I, or usually, I, I'm not a lawyer. I should not characterize the how often, but when applicable, federal laws uh, you know, come first before state laws or state programs like this. Uh, and then they also argue that it could violate the Constitution's Commerce Clause. And so this comes out of a filing from uh, Kaiso, the Kaiso Independent System Operator asking the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, for uh, authorization to amend its tariffs to account for Washington's treatment of greenhouse gases in the cap and invest program and yeah. amending the tariffs for the Western energy imbalance market. Right. So that uh, there's no decision that uh, the filing was back from November. This is the second challenge though, to the cap and invest program, the independent power producer in Benergy, which has a natural gas plant in Washington. It uh, filed a case in federal court back in December, arguing it, making a similar argument about the cap and invest program that it's unconstitutional. And that story was covered by my colleague, Greg Mason. So a uh, interesting mm-hmm. fight going on that will be yeah. interesting to see how it, uh, what kind of precedence it's at. Yeah. But, interesting argument. Yeah. Expenses incurred in revenues received by Utah's, Utah's customers are likely to differ because of Washington's policies inclusion in the FERC market mechanism. Yeah, a, a recurring theme here with different state policies and the EIM as it grows, you know, gets more complex. There's very complicated greenhouse gas costs and, you know, allocations on that. Here's another example. Yeah, one of the interesting solutions to or proposals to come out of Southwest Power Pools um, proposal for a day ahead market in the West was the mechanism it came up with for incorporating how Washington's carbon program and Oregon's carbon program would affect energy pricing and really trying to isolate that effect for mm. those markets. 
So. Yeah. Complicated. Tough task. Yeah. I'll just. So uh, now you've got an update. Speaking of, let's see, the transition I'm going to make this is a bit of a reach. Uh, a non-carbon emitting resource. The, That's right. You've got an update on what, what it's going to take to keep the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant uh, operating. Yeah, this is the movement that began last year to keep Diablo Canyon going. It's starting to, the rubber's starting to meet the road on this. Again, the CPUC, January 12th, opened a rulemaking to consider extending operations of Diablo Canyon, possibly until the end of 2030. This, of course, follows legislation in California calling for this plant to stay open. Um, and PG&E, which owns and operates the plant, received approval from the NRC, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, to continue operating the plant until 2030. Um, and some comments coming in from the public, uh, mostly, you know, well, this this fairly even division on this. Um, but yeah, I think California has found it needs this plant, uh, needs this plant, I should say. Also, the federal government has tossed in $1.1 billion to PG&E to keep the plant opening. So what they're looking at is cost review, cost recovery, approval of costs, and um, that'll be a condition before this extension is granted. And there also must be consideration given to whether new mechanisms or agreements are needed to ensure cost recovery with respect to electrical corporations, CCAs, and electric service providers. And yeah, it'll require a new process um, in new accounting procedures. So, yep, we'll be tearing this one apart as the state looks to keep this controversial plant going. Yeah, that'll be a, a I mean, this is a big uh, consideration for California's future resource adequacy and uh, yeah. in terms of like keeping the, the grid balanced, especially. Mm -hmm. And well, yep, working with several other agencies on this, but uh, yeah, a lot more to come on Diablo Canyon. Right, yeah, well, we will all be watching out for that. That uh, is okay. a story that directly affects California and as with everything in California, indirectly affects the rest of the West. I guess you're making us feel important. Thanks, Dan. Well, for better or for worse. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's all from me, Dan okay. Cashball. Uh, you can read more about our stories at newsdata.com. And please leave a re review and rate our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Yep. I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Fordney Energy. You can read more of our content at www.newsdata.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.